Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. My name is Douglas Parsons. I feel today's episode was simply made to be. In March, I intended an online course into safe spaces for trans youth. After being placed in a breakout room, I met Martha Gumpridge, who, after they introduced themselves, I knew I wanted to learn more about their research and work into safe spaces for 2S LGBTQ plus youths. The very next day, I received notification of a new follower on my Instagram site. Always interested in seeing who the people are who follow this podcast, I looked at the profile. There in the about section were the words, ask me about my research in safe spaces for LGBTQ2S plus youth. So in my head, I'm thinking, is this Martha? No, this turned out to be a completely new person by the name of Haley Dunwoody, both with current research backgrounds on similar topics. It's meant to be, and that's the genesis of how this episode came together. So about Haley and Martha, who I just mentioned, Haley Dunwoody is a special education teacher. She works with teenagers with autism and has a degree in sociology, education, and a master's in leadership. She is currently doing diversity research and focusing on the lived experience of LGBTQ2S plus youth and what they need from educational leaders to feel safe in school. In her current research, she is taking an artography approach where she can make her own lived experience into art. So this is where she can take a reflexive approach to how her experiences relate to other rainbow people in the world. In her research, she takes a queer lens, which focuses on the power imbalance in society, sexual oppression, and straight privilege. She does an in-depth look into the long-term effects that straight privilege and oppression have on LGBTQ2S plus youth and the harassment they undergo in school. My other guest is Martha Gumpridge. They are currently at Simon Fraser University in the Faculty of Health Sciences, working towards their master's in health sciences. Specifically, their research focus is on LGBTQ plus and gender minority people and their experience in sport. They aim to help make organized sport a more inclusive space for LGBTQ plus people and gender minorities. Just a few days ago, they received the prestigious SSHRC CRSH Canada Graduate Scholarship Master's Award for their research on the experiences of non-binary youth who are participating in organized team sports. A month ago when I met them, they began what is called a unicorn study, which is a national survey that seeks to understand how and where young people in Canada learn about issues related to gender and sexuality in order to create policy that ensures youth feel safe and affirmed wherever they go. You can see why I'm excited to bring these two souls together to talk about this topic. Before I bring Haley and Martha to your screen and or your listening ears, Tales of the 2S LGBTQ is a weekly audio and visual podcast that showcases the remarkable people found within our 2S LGBTQ community. By listening to our stories, we gain insight, understanding, and connection. So let's continue to connect while being introduced to amazing people and the topics that they love. If you're here on YouTube watching, please make sure you press subscribe, receive notifications of upcoming episodes, including a very special interview I have coming up with Martin Boyce, who is someone who was there the night of Stonewall, part of the group uh, that did the can-can, kicking the police officers. That episode is coming up this month on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. I am based here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and it's important for me to say that, as I like to acknowledge that I am on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional meeting ground, gathering place, and traveling route to the Cree, Sado, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. 
I acknowledge all the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries, especially the knowledge keepers and elders who have come before and those who are with us today. I continue to open myself up to listen, to learn, and to understand, and I hope you join me on this journey as we learn truth. Today on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, I'm thrilled to be able to have a conversation about safe spaces in our schools for our rainbow children. And so with that, I'm very proud to be able to bring up to your screen and or your listening ears, Haley and Martha. Welcome. Thank you so much. Now, I'm exhausted by just reading both of your backgrounds because they're so extensive. To our audio listeners, I'm going to tell you right now that Haley and Martha are not going to be speaking in that elderly voice that we might hear and talk about the good old days. No, they're barely over the age of youth. <laughs> they're giving back to the community. So for both of you, why has research been such a focus within your studies? That's a great question. So I myself am non-binary and have grown up in sport all my life, but wasn't always non-binary in sport. But So I've had the experiences of not quite feeling myself within dance specifically and gendered roles. And then when I was getting my bachelor's of kinesiology and a certificate in athletic therapy, on the other side of sport, working with athletes, I got to see a lot of ways that gender diverse people don't always and can't always fit into sport, especially within the gender roles we assign everyone and the ways we divide sport. So in my undergrad, I did a little independent research study looking at how queer people are and their experiences in university varsity hockey and the experiences of straight people as well. And then I realized that was the most fun I've ever had and absolutely loved that study and wanted to keep going. So now for my master's, I'm looking at the experiences and mental health of non-binary youth in organized sports in Canada and the U.S. Fantastic. And Haley, what about yourself? I started my research because entering the education world after I graduated, I realized that it was really hard to navigate the waters of coming out to my students and coming out to my principals. I identify as a lesbian. And then I started realizing in one of my practicums that a lot of principals were very uncomfortable bringing GSAs into the school. I did one of my practice comes in a faith-based school and the principal there was very worried about the pushback they might get when I mentioned a GSA. So that's kind of where my research started was to try and help leaders become more comfortable with talking about LGBTQ 2S plus issues in school, creating a climate within schools that LGBTQ2S plus students feel safe in and helping new teachers that are coming into the educational world feel comfortable navigating those waters. So you both mentioned mental health and I would imagine with doing these type of studies you're healing yourselves at the same time by gaining that information and so what have you learned about yourselves while conducting this research into your field? Wow, so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, pay, there's no payment for the uh, psychology here and all that. I'm not going to clutch on any pearls, so there's no charge. <laughs> I think a lot of validation, honestly. During my first week of research, I was trying to join a swim team in Burnaby here, and the coach I was talking to, I was asking them if they'd have any trans or non-binary swimmers before. And their response was not to their knowledge. And it didn't sound like they wanted one either. So in a way, it did validate the importance of my work and kind of gave me a boost to keep going. But 
also was like the sad reminder that this is very needed and we need to keep looking at this because there's a lot of progress to be made and a lot of progress to be made within academia as well with people in power with their knowledge of sex and gender and the differences and what's acceptable and what's not and how to support people better. Yeah, I think what I learned most about myself during this time of study is how much anxiety I feel personally and other LGBTQ2S plus people feel in the community about entering the professional world and going to school and not knowing how people are going to react to them or what opportunities are going to fly by or they're going to miss due to their LGBTQ2S plus umbrella that they're sitting under. The listeners of this podcast will know a little bit about myself when it comes to this. I consider myself a recovering junior high teacher. It's been over 20 years of teaching junior high, but I'm still recovering from those 35 hormonally charged grade eight students that I had to look after. But even more than that, I graduated from the University of Alberta in 1998, started my first position at the age of 21, teaching in a small rural school. The Delwyn Vreen case had not been really settled yet because before that, we could have been fired based on our sexual orientation. We didn't have those workplace rights. So I know going into small town Alberta, my first job, I had recently come out. I was back in the closet right away and I hid that for a long time because I was not ready. And I wasn't ready to have those conversations. Martha, you mentioned the swim coach and Haley, you mentioned the principal of the faith-based school. And so how did both of you approach those conversations? Was it a time where you can spread the good word, so to speak, and talk about us? Or is this one where you have to take a step back and go, I'm not ready for this conversation at this moment? What were both of your experiences in these two cases? My experience, I was scared. I was told by my mentor teacher not to let people know that I'm a lesbian. It would maybe affect my job. I'd have a lot of pushback from parents, from students. I looked at it, though, as an opportunity to see what would happen. And I came out to my school. I started a GSA. And there was one student's family that had pushback, but I had um, a teacher that stepped up and they were really supportive of this program and of my practicum because I was in my practicum at the time. And a lot of students entered the club and it, it did end up helping students. So I went on to launching another GSA once I got my permanent teaching contract as well in the school that I'm currently at. So it was a different experience and it was really scary, but I think it was worth it. And I'm, I'm here now. I, I got a job. It didn't affect me too much, but it was really hard to hear not to tell people and not to come out. And what year was that when you received this advice from your mentor teacher? This was 2000 and 17. It wasn't that long ago. I've only been teaching for three years. So only five years since you started teaching. And yet that was the advice given to you to hide yourself. To yeah. Make and your work experience better. Yeah. And it's crazy because looking at my research now and thinking back to that time and thinking how we want students to feel comfortable coming out and accepting others. How are they going to do that if they're, role models in their school, because so many kids look up to their teachers if they're in hiding. That's just giving the message to students that it's not okay to be diverse. We all need to stay in the closet in, in hiding. So we can't expect students to start accepting the world if their adults are not. Martha, what about yourself in the conversation you had with the swim coach? So I didn't pursue it any further. I wasn't ready emotionally or mentally anyway really 
this is my first time going into sport being openly non-binary and this was how it ended for me and so I was very upset for quite a while and didn't end up swimming but I learned so much in the bigger scheme like to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what happens to so many non-binary people in sport because I wanted to join this team to meet new people in a new city that I I just started living in and I didn't get that I didn't get to make new friends I wasn't able to stay active through this way so seeing that for that I know this isn't the first time this has happened to someone and for so many people that's the last straw for them that this is the final time that they're going to be told that they don't fit in and that really upset me so I just thought, okay, I'll come back to this coach once I have results from my study and I'll show them what's what. But no, I didn't do anything about it. But I was really glad I also had my research team to support me during that time because I know that a lot of people don't have that support. And I was very appreciative to have that support to get through it. Both of you are doing research looking at youth within our rainbow community. We have life before the pandemic and then life during. One day will be after. But what have you both noticed with your research looking at today when it comes to finding safe spaces for our rainbow youth in schools during this time of COVID? Have you found things have been different? Yes, it was really hard for two years just because clubs were taken away in schools for students. So they had the online world for gay straight alliances and other LGBTQ2S plus resources. But it makes it so different when it's not in person. They don't have those personal connections. And with the GSAs, when they're in person, it attracts a lot of other students that might be allies to the LGBTQ2S plus students, whereas when it's online, the students are less inclined to enter those worlds. And it's not as interactive. It's more of a website that's set up with resources that they can click on. Whereas if a kid's not intrinsically motivated, they're not going to access those. Yeah, my research isn't so much looking at our results through a COVID lens, but I do know that for myself, I had an easier time finding queer support and groups through online groups, especially growing up in a city that isn't very supportive of queer people. I had an easier time finding things online. So I personally benefited from it, things moving online and having an easier way to access them, especially geographically but I know that's not the case for everyone. We've got the Pride Corner on White here in Edmonton, and Haley and I are both based in that area. And last summer, we got 30 to 60 youth every Friday who came out, and a lot of it was because they didn't have their GSAs at the schools. And so we were their GSA as their teenage nightclub, so to speak, on a Friday night wide open in the area on the busiest intersection. And we are prepared to have even more coming up in the spring and summer. And a part of this too is because both Haley and I are in the province of Alberta. We are underneath a provincial government who is very conservative. And so Haley, can you tell our listeners more about the restrictions that have been put in place for our GSAs here in Alberta compared to four years ago when we had a different provincial government. Yes. So with the restrictions put in place during COVID, we had it all online. The students, we looked at having cohorts for them, but then they're not all together. They're in their grades with each other. So it's not spreading through the schools, whereas now it's opening up again with the GSAs. So we are starting our GSA up with the school being combined. So grade sevens, grade nines can all be together. And then they start to make connections. It makes it really hard when they can't make those connections in the hallways. We're finding that schools without GSAs in them, the kids are reporting more harassment. They're reporting more verbal and physical harassment. They're saying that they feel 
less safe within the schools, which creates a learning environment where they're not taking risks. A lot of them are dropping out of schools. Studies show that students that are under the LGBTQ2S plus umbrella, they are having lower grade averages than their straight peers in the schools. But when there is a GSA, they start to have connections within the hallways. So when they come out of their clubs, they know people. People start to hear the bullying that's happening and they might have a friend or someone that knows them and they'll speak up for them and tell the teachers. Whereas schools without GSAs, they don't have that protection. But another issue Canada in general is finding is GSAs are not extending out as far as we want them to extend out into the school climate. So more has to be done. So they're trying to bring in counselors into our school to create a curriculum around the LGBTQ2S plus umbrella. So students are educated around that. So it's a more of a whole school movement rather than a small group movement to create a more inclusive space for these students. So that's kind of where we're at in the schools right now. Martha, let's bring in a study that you've recently started with your cohorts. And as it comes with this conversation as well, if you're here on YouTube, you'd be able to see the web link for our audio listeners. It's a unicorn study. Unicorn, in this case, being spelled U-N-A-C-O-R-N. There's some capital letters. There's some small letters. Most important, www.unicorn, U-N-A-C-O-R-N dot C-A. Please tell me more about this study, Martha. I'd love to. So... Unicorn stands for Understanding, Affirming Communities, Relationships, and Networks. And we're looking to see where youth ages 15 to 29 in Canada and the U.S. have had their identities affirmed or threatened. So we're covering many, many different topics in the study, including mental health, access to primary health care, trans and repronormativity, and my questions about sport. So my section covers quite a lot of ground and mainly because there's been only a handful of studies in the entire world about looking specifically at non-binary people in sport and the one that did it like the most specifically was in Scotland and they did it through a focus group so my way it's through an online survey and we're hoping to collect the voices of as many youth as we can because we have no data on this And a lot of people, particularly government and policymakers, if they don't see numbers, nothing's going to change. So we're going to get those numbers for them. And we're going to make inclusive and protective policies for all people in sport. So we're looking at why people are leaving sport. If people are feeling like they need to change their gender expression or hide their gender identity. And if they feel safe, what's causing them not to feel safe? how gyms are structured, like the change rooms, the teams, if people can go between gender teams. So we're looking at a lot of different things and even including like homophobia and transphobia, we have data on that, but we always want more. And I don't think you can have too much queer data at this point. So we're collecting all that we can in our study right now. And when I hear this, I can see Haley would be able to take this information go to her school with her GSA and say, this is what we need. This is the proof. And so I'm very happy to be able to share this information with our listeners, with our Pride Corner group as well. Is there a deadline when information needs to be done by? Roughly around June, but really do it now. You've heard the link. You should do it now. You should take the survey now. Listen to the rest of the interview first and then do the survey or do both. You can multitask. That is a good transferable skill uh, that we have. Martha, you mentioned about sports and that's really been your focus. We recently had here in Edmonton, the Edmonton Oil Kings do their first ever Pride Night 
where we celebrated Luke Prokop, who is the first openly gay male under an NHL contract to play. Uh, so it was really important for us to be involved in that and celebrate that. The Edmonton Oil Kings in return celebrated many of our community groups. I didn't know that my inner self needed to be soothed in any way. I did quit team sports when I was 16, 17 years old due to the homophobia. It just was not a safe space for me. What have you found in your studies? Has life improved for people like ourselves at that age group? Or is it the same old, same old where we just happen to quit and we try to survive in other ways? It's the same and getting better, according to a lot of the studies, that there's still quite a bit of homophobia in sport and transphobia but I feel like we're getting to the point now where we know it's not okay to discriminate on someone's sexual orientation but we're getting to the point where once someone's gender is different that's when people get uncomfortable and don't know what to do and freak out and say no we don't want you we don't know what to do we can't handle this right now but if you're gay that's cool that's fine we're very supportive but if you're trans or non-binary mm, I don't know about that. I don't think so. I don't think it's fair. I know you shouldn't join. So it's getting better for sexuality wise. Pride nights every year are getting so much better and have a lot more meaning behind them. There's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of teams still don't have pride nights. And I like that a lot of organizations are actually including queer people in the planning now which makes them so much better. And now they're so good. You just got it. You know, amazing what happens when you involve the people that you're targeting. I know it's a pretty wild concept, but we're getting there. The Edmonton Oil Kings had the kiss cam where people have to guess the famous people who were kissing. They put a couple of images up there and they actually were same-sex kisses with each other. And I'm just sitting there at the hockey game and going, I never would think I was at a hockey game and I get to see two men kiss or two women kiss. And ah, I, I was shocked by it. It was great, but still shocked. Haley, GSAs in our schools. What is the conversation when trans comes up or the kids identify as trans? What type of conversations are being had in these type of gay-straight alliance groups? Well, my school in particular is very open to it. We actually uh, redid all of our bathrooms to be uh, gender neutral in the last couple of years. And usually when a, a student comes out to the GSA that they are non-binary or transgendered, we look to see what their pronouns are going to be and what they're going to rename themselves. And then we go to all of the teachers. They have to learn the student's new pronouns, the student's new name. We change it within our attendance system so teachers don't forget. And we make it really aware to the students that this student is now going by this name now. So I find that the conversations are really good within the GSA and the students are very open to it. I haven't had any issues within the school that I am at. It does change, however, depending on your school and your principals and the culture that within the school, how that's all created. I'm very fortunate with the school that I am at. The culture within our school is very accepting and open and they look to find resources for teachers to represent all diverse umbrellas. So the books that are in the classrooms will, will hold uh, transgendered students. It'll show gay students. It'll show lesbian students. So we are really working towards finding all of that and being open. Well, I hate the devil's advocate talk because... The devil doesn't need an advocate, but, you know, in the sake of conversation here, I'll change the voice here with this part, Haley. But Haley, you mentioned grade seven through nine that you were working uh, with. How can you have 
neutral washrooms when the kids are going through puberty. Don't you know that that's just a bad spot and just bad things are going to happen? Am I right? I'm glad you brought that up. We did have a conversation about this as the washrooms were being designed and made. Our school is actually K-9 that I'm in. And the K-9 bathrooms are all non-gendered bathrooms. And they're designed just because you never know with junior high kids, they get silly in the bathroom. Sometimes they'll throw wet toilet paper on the ceilings and you'll be like what is going on here <laughs> so the bathrooms are all designed open so you can see all the way to the back and then it's all separate stalls and then where they wash their hands teachers can see all the way back so we can see everything that's happening in the bathrooms hmm. interesting and yeah. so has this been an easy transition or has it been difficult I find, depending on the student, it has been an easy transition. Our transgendered students are very happy about it. They feel very comfortable with it. Our elementary students actually have noticed that they don't even question it. It's normal for the little guys from K to 6. They just go into their bathrooms. They haven't even noticed the change, and they're just in there with their friends. There are some students that are in 7 and 9 that will say that they're uncomfortable with it, but they have been using it. The culture is still there with people not feeling 100% comfortable with it, but we're hoping that with this big change within the schools, it'll create a school climate and a school culture that is more accepting and more comfortable with it and more exposed to it. Because I find students that are not exposed to these things they don't become aware of it. They don't have the chance to become accepting of it. And we're finding when students are educated in areas such as how their after effects of their harassment with students, they start to empathize a little bit more. Whereas when you're just like, oh, don't bully and you stop there, it doesn't really stop them from bullying. Whereas when we're like, oh, the effects of bullying, look what it's doing. The Students that are under the LGBTQ2S plus umbrella are more likely to experience depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal thoughts, and committing suicide. So when they see that, and then another study is coming out that students are now developing PTSD from their experiences as LGBTQ2S plus youth because of the harassment and because of the rejection from their peers and their families that they're experiencing. So when students understand all that, they seem to be more empathetic. And Martha, your focus again has been on sports. Haley just mentioned the bathrooms, the locker room when it comes to team sports or the times when boys and girls come together. What have you noticed when it comes to the locker room as part of this conversation? Yeah, it's the same attitudes that they should be separate and it's not safe and that's not cool to have them together. I don't think having them all together is the answer. I think you can still have a women's and men's changing, but have a space for people that is not gendered, that you have a gender neutral area. And so many times it's the family change room, which is so like kind of off for people that it's you and then someone else with their little kids and like, well, I'm not, I'm here by myself. I'm not here with the family. So just having a space for people. And really, I think the main thing we need now is asking people what they want and doing it. I have a lot of solutions right now. It's just people who aren't affected by what's going on and deciding this will help. This is what's best. They're like, oh, okay, thanks, but like not what we wanted. That's that's not actually helping. So really just like actually putting the effort into finding out what the issues are and what people want and then doing it. Because often the problem isn't as complicated as people really think and the solutions aren't as difficult either. Well, and we see, especially in the United States, that 2022 has been open season against trans athletes 
children who identify as being trans not being allowed into playing team sports. I believe it was Idaho that recently released a bill that banned someone who identifies as being trans from competing in the team sport with where they identify. And when they actually looked at the kids who were in the school, it affected one kid, a 12-year-old kid. And so it does seem like open season. So Martha, can you talk more about what's happening with these bills that are taking place in the United States? And in turn, is this something that we need to worry about here in Canada taking place? Yeah, absolutely. So many people, a lot of trans people are saying that so many government officials are creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Trans people in sport is not an issue. There's been studies that have not found any advantage for trans women in sport. There are some that have found a slight advantage, some that have found that they're equal with cis women, and some that have found no real significant findings. So there isn't any strong proof that trans women have this inherent advantage over cis women and that they're making sport unfair. And what we really need to look at is the opportunities that we're giving young boys instead of young girls in sport. So many people, especially parents and caregivers, there's been studies that have found that people believe that young boys will be better and more successful in sport than young girls. So we don't enroll young girls in sport. All of most high performance centers are built for men and boys. Most of the coaches are men. So getting girls and gender diverse youth into sport is incredibly intimidating. And I too have been the only at the time woman performance coach and strength coach in high performance gyms. And it's very intimidating. Even with knowing what I'm doing, being the only feminine person in a gym is very uncomfortable and can be very intimidating. So there needs to be more diversity. It can't just be on some people who just have the motivation to know they're doing it for something bigger. But yeah, I, I don't like, I have words for these bills. I am speechless of these bills. It blows my mind of what's happening. But yeah, we definitely need to be mindful of what's happening in the States because the same attitudes are here. We see it with the Freedom Convoy that we have very similar attitudes that a lot of people are very vocal about their attitudes as well. And just having the same, I don't know, I think it's unfair attitudes is harmful for trans youth. And we need to stop with it, this unfairness discussion and just let people play, let youth have fun in sport make friends and just love their lives because everyone's going to be better for it. I think for me, the convoy situation was so difficult to hear because I had always lived in this false world where we could look at the United States and go, it's them. And somewhere the border hits and we are immune to it. And then we've seen with residential schools, we have a history we see with the convoy and all these voices came out, especially from surprising people, friends and family that you never would think. You see passive aggressive comments on threads. There was a recent coach who was hired, a woman in hockey. And the comment section was from these cis white males who were like, well, is she qualified for this job? Nobody will listen to her. Well, if a male was hired for that same role, nobody would ask if that guy was qualified. But it gets thrown out into the world where you're constantly being judged for your ability. And so I guess as a transition in this conversation, for yourselves as researchers, do you feel the divide between male researchers and female researchers? Do you feel that... If you present your information, it might be perceived differently if I gave that same information. Is that same in the research field? Do you want to go first? <laughs> I find that so many people are just afraid to say the wrong thing. I present my thesis and I often don't get the same kind of helpful feedback that others get because everyone's so scared to say the wrong thing. 
and it just comes from a lack of knowledge surrounding sex and gender. So if you really just put in the effort to learn about it, then you're like helping me the same way you're helping others. And I just feel like we need so many more queer researchers. So our studies are more diverse. The research is richer. It's better. We're covering more people. And it's so much easier for queer researchers and queer students to come into academia and stay when they have support and people understand what they're going through. And when bad things happen, they have people to go to who understand it and can help support them. And I know if I didn't have queer mentors in academia, it would be a lot harder to do my research right now and to stay in school. But I have that and I'm so grateful for that. But I know a lot of people don't. So we definitely need more queer academia. (laughs) I find as a female researcher, I am treated a little bit differently than males would be treated. I've actually looked into this (laughs) with females entering academia and not feeling like they are like they belong there and they're trying to fit in or they feel like they are trying to put a mask on to fit into a world that they don't really fit into. I also find that I agree with Martha. We do need more queer researchers and more queer professors and mentors and support in that way in academia. I have one professor that identifies as queer and it's awesome. He led my thesis for my master's and he looked through it and edited it for me and he was great. But other than that, I I didn't know of any other queer professors to support my research. Another uh, thing that I found in my research was in leadership, men can come in and be very confident and be very loud and they're seen as strong. Whereas a woman in leadership comes in and she might be very loud and very confident like that man was, but she's seen as crazy, as loud, sometimes disrespectful. She's given disrespectful names in academia because of her more abrupt attitude. So it's a little bit, it's different. I get treated differently as a female. As a male, if I come in domineering, I'm seen as being in control. Somebody has got a firm hand on things. A woman in the same situation will get the words bitch. Yes. And that's, yeah, you're allowed to swear on this podcast. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, that's where I was trying to go, but I didn't yeah. want to say it. <laughs> I could see, see your lips pursing and then you censored yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Swear away because that's <laughs> okay. our language. Yeah. And yeah. I will say this well, that I've taken advantage of that in my career in that myself, I make sure that in interviews that I come across as firm and in control. And I know that my gender has played an active role in the positions I've gotten in life. I'm in a space now where I can ensure that a woman's voice is heard and Whenever possible, I, I've elevated and made sure that the voice is heard. But it's an advantage when it comes to jobs and all that. I would be foolish if I had not in my past. It's unfair, but it's recognizing that this does exist. And in saying that, in my research, just me presenting as a white female, I am from south side of Edmonton, that gives me an advantage because there are other females that are identifying as Black or Asian or another minority group where they're going to fall into like a hard intersectionality. They might be identifying as gay and Black, whereas I am only, I am a lesbian, but I am white and I'm next to the white male who is the most privileged in society. So where that line goes, it goes the white male, then it goes the white female. And then as you go down, the darker in skin tone you are, the less privileged you are, right? So I, I, I understand. And in my research, I have said that. Whereas I'm using a queer lens in my research, 
But I also need to remember my biases are very different because of my background. I am still white. Well, and Martha, with yourself, you have the non-binary self with you. And so Haley used the hand gestures with height and the scales. Is there a spot on this where we place someone who is non-binary? Do we have enough information about that yet? I don't know. I think it also depends how you present yourself. Like I often look very cis. And even when I'm looking more masculine, I still look very cisgender. But for people who look more androgynous and look more gender fluid, they're not treated the same. And I think it's also with like emotions and research, when men are showing emotions, they're passionate and they're very invested in the topic. But if I get emotional, then I just I just can't control my emotions. And other people, they're just emotional and they're irrational. But no, like we're all tied to our research. We're all, so many of us are doing the research because no one else is, but we've lived the experience. Like, hey, we need to look at this. So it's hard not to get emotional very often. And that's part of it. And I think that's what makes it so great. And why some people are penalized for that is not cool. (laughs) I don't have a strong word for that, but it's not okay. I've seen uh, people who don't, quote, pass assist, have a lot of different experiences. Just watching their presentations and the questions they receive compared to the ones that I get are very different. So you are treated a lot differently. Haley, in the introduction about you, I mentioned the artography, the taking the experiences and making it into art. Can you tell us more about that? Because it's something that I know nothing about, but I'm really curious in learning more. Yeah, so artography is a research approach where you can choose. I've chosen drawings just because that's my strong suit, but you can do poetry, you can do uh, photo photography, you can do videotaping kind of thing and create movies. And it's just a reflexive approach to look at your own lived experiences and how they make you feel and looking at like the research that... I am coming up with and how it matches with the way I feel. And then it's just a a visual representation that tells more than words, but I will also underneath each picture show, I will journal about what it means and how it makes me feel and where my biases are standing within the drawing. (laughs) You'd probably have to edit this out, but I can go grab my sketchbook. I can show you some of my drawings. Absolutely. I want to see this. So absolutely. So as we've been talking about the artography, this part had been edited out. But Haley went to go get some of the art that was created that she was talking about. And before you show us, Haley, mm-hmm. with this art, do you then present it with your presentations? with your research findings, the written word, or is this something that's completely different and you do it for yourself? Nope, it's within my research and I present it in the paper that I present and to the university. So people can see, they can see where my brain is at and how I took a reflexive approach to understand myself and society and the feelings of how people, the emotions that come up while this all happens. And it has to also bring in that extra part that I've always seen that is missing in academia. When people present, it's just the written word. But this other piece just adds to it. And for someone like myself, who is a visual learner, someone who does follow with colors and shapes, this Mm -hmm. is drawing me in. So Haley, please show us what you can. So the first drawing I'll show is this one. So in this drawing, you can see that there's a window behind the jail that the person is in that's wrapped with the flag, the LGBTQ2S plus flag is wrapped in. And the window has uh, a lock on it. It's all chained up. Whereas that's where we want to go, but they, they can't get there. They can't get to the acceptance And then the images that are just right here are societal images 
that the pressure of society is putting on the LGBTQ2S plus students to fit in into the societal norms that they put out there. And then you can see that in the jail, it's collapsing just because the pressure of society's norms is collapsing the roof of the prison that we are placed in as LGBTQ2S plus people. Wow. So for our audio listeners, do make the time to come over to our YouTube site so you can see what was created. It's approximately around the 53-minute mark here if you're coming in to take a look. Now, Haley, when I see that created picture, I see something that's quite beautiful. It speaks to a person. When you have created and you look at that, how do you see your research as being more complete because you have done this artography? Yeah, so I see the research being complete just because that is how I learn and process everything. So I can ensure that I am giving a more clear picture to people reading my research and making sure that my biases are not changing the information that I am giving people. It makes me feel better about my research because it's putting in emotion. I want people to feel emotion through the art that they are looking at. And I'm hoping that'll give them a better understanding of how the LGBTQ2S plus youth feel so locked up within themselves that they can't get there. And it's it's within reach though. That's the, that's the thing with the picture. You can see it through the window and it's almost like, okay, I can see it. I know where I need to go. I know what, what I want and what society needs to do, but it's just out of reach. We can't get there because there's not enough research and it's not spreading into society to create this accepting societal norm. Whereas when you look at the LGBTQ to us plus community, A lot of people don't realize that when you come out of the closet, you're not coming out once. You're coming out every single day of your entire Mm -hmm. life. Whereas straight people, they don't need to do that. They can walk into a place and people just assume, oh yeah, like you're a girl, you have a boyfriend, like makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then as a lesbian, I have to always be like, oh, actually, no, I I don't. Mm -hmm. I have a, a partner, I need to, then you get that anxiety constantly throughout your entire life that, oh mm-hmm. my God, now I need to tell this person that I'm also gay. And this might be the time that they don't accept me. And with that coming out every single day, when I leave the house with my partner and we hold hands on the street, it's almost like coming out once again, not verbally, but you mm-hmm. can see pictorially, we are coming out. Symbolically, we are coming out. And I can remember a time, me and my partner, a couple weeks ago, we were walking down White Avenue and someone yelled at us and told us that we were a disease because we were holding hands. Whereas that wouldn't happen to a straight couple. And a straight couple could walk down and feel safe. Whereas we're constantly like, okay, we're coming out to the world again by holding hands. And it's exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Mm -hmm to do this over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. The picture you showed is someone who is locked up, looking to get free. And so that's a transition over to Martha here. You're in the field of study. Recently, about five days ago, you received a national grant, an award. How does this unlock your future potential as a researcher within this 2S LGBTQ plus study. Yeah, was it? It's an amazing confidence boost to know that other people recognize the importance of this work. I know it's important and my research team knows it's important and other non-binary people understand the importance of it, but not everyone else does. And it was really nice to see that people with a lot of power in research do see the importance of this. And it's definitely a boost of confidence and very validating to know that people see potential in this. And hopefully once we have results, people will want to do something with them too. Well, and you're scheduled to graduate, I believe in 2023. 
So does this give you that boost to make sure that you complete your studies to get that master's? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so great because so many trans and gender diverse people aren't able to stay in school financially and aren't because they can't support themselves and their schooling. For me, I'm lucky that that's not a big issue for me. I have that privilege, but a lot of students don't. So I think funding like this is incredibly important for a lot of students. And thank you, Shark. I'm very appreciative. If anyone's listening, thank you very much. <laughs> and call you again for the 2023 year. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And it's fantastic. And so can you tell us a bit about this organization? It's got a whole bunch of letters to it. So I assume it's an acronym. <laughs> Yeah, so it's the Canadian Graduate Scholarship, the Master's Award, and mine is through the Social Sciences and Human Research Council of Canada. The snaps are there. <laughs> well, both of you have brought the intelligence level of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, a lot higher. <laughs> My former guests are going to look at me and go, oh, but they'll also agree <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so... It's a Tuesday at the end of April when we recorded this episode. For the next few weeks, for the next few months, what is going to be your focus when it comes to our rainbow community? For me, it'll be recruiting more people to take the unicorn study, like all of you listening right now, take the unicorn study, <laughs> and working on my thesis proposal defense. So getting ready to put all these words onto paper and make it real. Do you have a title for that thesis yet? Yeah. Well, it's just the big one, the explanatory investigating the experiences and mental health of non-binary youth in organized team sports in Canada and the U.S. Rolls right off the tongue. Exactly. <laughs> and what about yourself, Haley? What's going to be your focus over the next few months? I'm going to be looking into research on our next step to create inclusive environments within the schools and what educational leaders need to do to create a culture in their schools between staff and all stakeholders and students to create this inclusive environment so that students feel safe coming to school every single day and we can reduce the depression and anxiety levels of students under the LGBTQ2S plus umbrella. Yeah. I'm going to say this for everybody. You two are superheroes, superstars. It's great to know more about what both of you are working on. I consider myself very lucky, Martha, that we just happened to be put into that breakout room with each other. I felt like I had to lead the group that day and you were the other person who talked. So I was like, latching on to you uh, and it was fantastic. And as I made mention, the very next day, Haley signed up on Instagram, Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, where you should subscribe as well. And I felt it was a must. And absolutely, it's everything that I wanted this conversation to be and more. So I am absolutely thrilled for this. Final words for both of you. And this goes with a question that I ask everybody at the end. The age of 15 was an important year for myself. My only sister was born, same parents. I was an only child until I was 15. That was also the year when I realized in rural Alberta, living up in a village of 172 people, that there was something that was different. And at that time, back in the day, I didn't have those resources to know more about my gay self. If you had the opportunity to sit down with the 15-year-old Haley, with the 15-year-old Martha, what would you say to them? I think that I would tell myself that everything was going to work out. And as an adult, I would still, I would be happy. I would be successful. and it's okay to struggle. I think I would tell myself, no, straight girls aren't thinking that. Cis people aren't thinking that. 
and that's okay. You'll figure that out eventually. But no, those are some pretty gay thoughts. <laughs> and hey, the 15-year-old selves turned into the something-something age as you are today, and something worked. Something worked big time. Thank you both. Once again, another week, we get introduced to people, and we become smitten with them. And this is the case again. On behalf of Haley and Martha, who I know will be back in the future, my name is Douglas Parsons. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. If you've listened to previous podcasts, thank you so much. I hope you continue with us in the future. And if you are new today, you've been brought in because of the topic and or your friends with Haley and Martha, please check out previous episodes where we talk with the wide range of people found within our rainbow community. There's a story there for everybody. Perhaps it's going to be your story as well. Until next time, everyone, reminding you to be good and always text when you get home. Bye for now. <laughs>